Hello, welcome to Gritty Leaders Club, Nightmare Team, Dream Team, episode 21. Ian, episode 21. Wow, it seems like we've grown up. Maybe we should have a, some sort of party at number 21. It's like your kids reach 21, they have a party. Maybe we should, Ben. Thank you everyone who is listening to us. It's about a year ago today for Ian and I that we sat down and dreamed up the Gritty Leaders Club. So That's thank right. you, Ian. 20 episodes yeah. in, that feels, feels like a big achievement. Hasn't it gone quickly? If you'd said a year ago we'd have done 21 episodes, I would have taken that. So I'm really happy where we've got to, Ben. Yeah, good stuff. Enough about us. On to today and Nightmare Team or Dream Team, which we were talking, as we always do, you know, we do a little bit of prep individually, and then we come together and we talk a little bit about the pod we're about to record. And we were just doing that, Ian, and we realised, didn't we, that Nightmare Team, Dream Team, Teams, is not an episode actually this is a series so today we'll dive into the team topic and we're going to come back to this three four five times we haven't decided yet over the course of the next 10 or so pods yeah no i agree it's it was uh, one of your great ideas this morning ben when we started to unpack dream teams and teams and we both work a lot in this area as we might talk about today i invited you up recently to one of my clients and you spoke for uh, a morning and it, it was terrific so there is so much we can talk about here and absolutely we've just found out we have a, another mini series to come and that was a great morning some of that team is listening so hello folks Ian what's got your attention well I remember when I uh, you know I'm a fan like you are of Jim Collins and uh, mm-hmm. I remember when he spoke a while ago and I listened to him in San Diego and he talked about return on luck and he has that in a couple of his books, this idea of what return do we get on the luck we get in our, in our lives. And I've been reading his new book, which is a new book, but it's also an old book called BE 2.0, Beyond Entrepreneurship. And this is something he wrote with Bill Lazier. Bill Lazier was a mentor, uh, the mentor really of Jim Collins when he was at Stanford um, Business School. And he encouraged him to be a, a lecturer, a teacher there at Stanford, much against the, the dean's viewpoint at that, at that point. It was a real breakthrough for Jim Collins, and Bill Zier challenged him to do that and got him in there, and he, was, he, was, he became a lecturer, and it changed his whole course of his career. And that in itself kind of fits into this return on luck, because what Jim Collins goes on to discuss in the book, which is interesting, and I'll, is this return on who luck, not what luck. So he says, actually, what you need to think about is who you know, not what you know, and what the, you know, how much effort you're going to put into this. And let me read you a little bit from the book, which I okay. We live in a what culture. We ask political candidates, what are you going to do about foreign policy, the budget, or whatever? We ask aspiring entrepreneurs, what's your great idea? We ask young people, what career will you choose? We ask mentors, what job should I take? We ask, what should we do to solve a pressing problem? Not that these are bad questions, but they're secondary to the question of who. Put a right who in charge of foreign policy and you'll get good policy. Choose a right who for your founding team, which we'll come on to later, and you're more likely to come up with good ideas and make them work. Come upon a right who to be mentored by, and you're more likely to make good career choices. Find a right who to work for, and you're more likely to have a great job experience. 
identify the right who to own a problem, and you're more likely to get better solutions than if you try to solve the problem yourself. So I just thought that was really interesting and, and, and I love the way he writes, the way he thinks. And, uh, you know, it feeds into some of the conversations we're going to have about teams as well, Ben. Yeah, totally. I love that. Uh, what a shift in perspective. And you see it all the time, don't you? Everywhere. Mm. Start with why. Simon Sinek, start with why. Great book. I think three people have bought me that book. So there's probably a message in there for me. But what we've got here is start with who. Mm. What an interesting yeah. idea. Thank you. Thank you, Ian. Mm. And, and what's got my attention is also a book. Uh, it's called The Leadership Map. Have you heard of it, Ian? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> you should have done. You wrote it. <laughs> so so congratulations, mate. Your, your book is on the bookshelves. It has been now for what, as we record, a week? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. A yeah. week. Amazing. Yeah. 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 So... Huge achievements, well done, and I know that many of our listeners will already have a copy in their hands or they will have one soon. Of course, in the book, you're writing about some really similar topics to the stuff we're talking about here, so no introduction is needed. So here you are on the other side. The leadership map is on the bookshelves. Tell us, what have you gained from the experience of writing the leadership map? It's been a labour of love actually i thought about writing this about two and a half years ago and it was you who put me in touch with the publisher and i would say first of all to anyone who's thinking of writing a book get a publisher fairly early on because that will give you the timeline and put the pressure on you to actually finish it and i know lots of people who say yeah i'm writing a book and you know you talk to them three years later yeah well i'm still writing a book so if you really are serious get a publisher because they'll force you into a timeline i think what did i learn to your to your question i learned lots of things i suppose the thing was when i started writing it i started to think why would anyone read this and so I started doing more research around the topics. I started thinking of stories. And if we go back to, you know, presenting, running workshops, uh, we think how to engage people, we start thinking, what are the great stories that bring this to life? So as you'll know, Ben, you know, having read maybe all of it, I don't know, parts of it certainly, you'll know that I start quite a lot of the chapters with stories about um, people and, and things around the world that have been going on that, that bring it to life. And and for me, it had to be readable. You know, even Jacqueline, my wife, read it three times in the editing process. And, and she, you know, she doesn't take any prisoners. So, and she said to me, this is actually readable, Ian. It's, it's, I know it's leadership, your subject. I, I managed to read all the way through it. So that was, that was really good. And, and, and so I, I hope it's accessible it's, and it's useful. Again, go back to Jim Collins. A mistake for people is trying to be successful. Don't try and be successful. Try and be useful. And I genuinely hope this is useful for people who are starting a business or scaling a business. Because for me, it's, the, it's, it's a kind of idiot's guide, if you like, to, to starting a business. It's all in there. It lays it out. There's a map. There's a plan. There's loads of tools and it was fun to write. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the process. So, yeah, I feel really great about it, Ben. Really great. Good. And so shout out to Alison Jones, uh, your publisher and her business, Practical Inspiration Publishing. 
I introduced Alison to you because she's my publisher, but you're her favourite author because you've actually written the book. And this, of <laughs> course, was my this was my uh, strategy that I would buy myself time to write my own book by introducing you to keep her busy with your book in the in the meantime. So congratulations and and thanks, pal, because now I have to write my book <laughs> or, or find someone else to introduce to to Alison. Yeah. Great, seriously, big achievements. Good book. Thank you. Thank All you right, much. so Nightmare Team, Dream Team, and this will be a running topic for us. So teams, Ian, let's let's dive in. And you know, what what are some of the big ticket items here? Well, you know, as we started off a while ago, when as you said to the listeners pre-pod, you know, there's so much stuff we could get into, and so much stuff we should probably not get into today. The first thing I wrote down when I was creating a mind map yesterday and building on some of the thoughts I'd had on this topic was first who. And interesting, I didn't actually make the connection bizarrely between what I'd been noticing about you know return on who and return on luck, but. But first who, if you're going to create a team, I would certainly say that is, that is the place to start. And I think we can all sit there as leaders, either part of leadership teams, part of teams, the leader, the key leader in, in an organisation of a team, and we look around that team and we say, who is in that team? You know, as Jim Collins said, who's on the bus? But not only who's in the team, are they in the right seat? Okay. So I would say that's a big ticket item. Okay, and I've got balance team, which is also about the the people in the team. Although I think from what you've just said, another dimension of that same question. So we've got how did you put it? Who? First first who. First who. Alright, so first who balance team. So we'll dive into that in a moment. I guess the number one item on my list was a demanding task. Yeah. So let's spend some time on these two. I'm guessing now, but I'm fairly confident that somewhere on your page there, Ian, you've got uh, Lencioni's Five Dysfunctions of a Team. You'd be right. You'd be yeah, right. Okay, so so Five Dysfunctions, I reckon, I'm a great, great book, great mod. It's a book that I've bought for a ton of people, copies for every person on the team, of every team that mm. I've coached. So I really like it. That right there, I think, is an episode in its own right. Yeah, definitely. And it's a model everyone's got to know. And But also, as you know, I use a slightly different model and I, I have a slightly different version of Lencioni's model. And I've been reading your book, The Leadership Map. So I know that you have another model you turn to as well. So maybe those three mm. in, in an episode. So we'll get to that. Uh, but I guess the for anyone that's not read Lencioni's Five Dysfunctions of the Team, what it says is that a good team is built on the presence of trust and productive conflicts, commitment, accountability, and a focus on result. Mm. Sounds good, doesn't it? So we'll dive mm. into that one at, at the right point. And... I mean, it's sounding like we've got plenty to talk about. So maybe we'll take those two, balance team, first who, number mm-hmm. one, and demanding task, number two, or the other way around, I don't mind, and then wrap up with what do we actually mean by dream team? What do you reckon? Mm. Yeah, no, I like that. 
That's great. That's loads. As we said, we've got to be sharp and, and to the point on this, Ben, because it's, it's kind of our topic in a way, especially your topic. We both do a lot of work in this space. So where would you like to start? What's your big ticket item to kick off with? Well, let's start then with demanding task. Mm. And really, this is how I got into the whole team topic. And you know the story, Ian. Dial back five, six, seven years, and I was leading a team. My team, a consultants, a consulting team that I founded in London. Great little team. And we grew a company together. And there were two moments when we were acquired by bigger organisations. The first one in Sweden, in Stockholm. The second one in Finland, in Helsinki. So apart from getting to see the whole of Scandinavia from above as I flew to group board meetings, what really got my attention when I look back on that time is those two moments. The company was acquired and they were quick processes both times for various reasons tightly held. So it was a bit of an announcement when it was happening. We renamed the business on day one both Mm -hmm. times. We had a change of strategy both times. And these are moments where, what would we expect? Actually, we'd expect to churn our people a little. We're going to lose some people in moments like this. And sadly, we probably lose one or two good people. And we'd expect the performance to flatten for a bit, maybe even drop off a bit. This is what happens when companies are acquired, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not for my team. Both occasions, the entire team stayed intact, every single person. And we immediately went on to have our best quarter ever, by whichever metric you you could pick. But my favourite was that both times we immediately went out there and won customers that we've been aspiring to welcome on board. And so I thought, you know, what, what is it? What is it about those two moments that meant suddenly that good team really pulled together in such a powerful way? Surprised themselves, surprised me, surprised our competitors, surprised everyone. Mm. It got my attention. Uh, this is now my full-time job. And I've played with this with lots of teams I've, I've worked with and I've asked them and you heard me the other morning when you yep. brought me into work in the factory with top team manufacturing business. And I asked them the same question that I ask every team, which is tell me, when has this team been at its very best? Yeah. And what did they say? Do you remember? Well, I think I think they said when we were really challenged to achieve something, when we had a real challenge in front of us. Yeah, exactly. They said it was four or five years ago and we were really up against it. We knew we had to succeed. Mm. Stakes were really high. And every team I ask, they say something very similar. There was that time when we were really up against it. It was do or die. And we suddenly we came together and we were brilliant. Mm. And then if you ask them when else, then they say... Oh, yeah, well, there was also that time when we were really up against it. Oh, and then there was that other time when we were really up against it. Mm. And in fact, the team that we were working with together, they did that, didn't they? Mm-hmm. And actually, mm-hmm. they drew a little bit of a picture uh, of how they'd alternated between their moments of really high performance and the times in between. Yeah. 
(laughs) And they realise it's a bit of a pattern. And it's not just them, it's most teams. And it's a giant clue. Moments when the teams performed the best were the moments when they had a really demanding task in front of them. Yeah, yeah. And we can get into this in another episode. Uh, There's lots of research behind this. But this is my number one point. If you want your team to perform well, make sure they've got a demanding task. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And I was talking about this yesterday with a group up in Newcastle. And because, uh, as you say, it, the task, the challenge can come at you. So you might have a pandemic, you might have an acquisition, you might have something that happens where the team have to step up. There's there's a challenge that comes at you. Yeah. I think if there isn't challenge coming at you, you've got to, you've got to come up with one. You've got to come up with yeah. something to get the team energized focused and and really firing on all cylinders again and so it reminded me and i you know i lose so many sporting analogies but i use them because i think they work you know when when clive woodward put the england rugby team together back in 1996 and they were you know they were all over the place bunch of so-called elite athletes coming into the room on their phones and wondering why they're in the room and they, they i don't i think they were seventh in the world in, interesting parallels with the England cricket team where they did the same thing when andy flowers joined them and he came in and and both of these coaches clive woodward andy flowers came into these top elite teams and said if you want to be in this team you've got to sign up to the fact that we want to be the number one team in the world and we're going to do this in this time scale and he used a phrase which is very similar to a phrase I've heard elsewhere, and that is, we're going to act as if. Mm-hmm. We're going to act as if we're the number one team in the world from today. And that changes the whole view of who you... So it's saying, we can't wait until we are the number one team in the world to act like the number one team in the world. We're going to act like it today. And that will change us as we move forward. And so as, a, as, as the manager, the coach, the CEO of the business, what would that mean in what we do, how we train, how we come together, the meetings we have, the clients we look at, the way we act when we do a pitch, the pricing we have, everything about us, the number one team in the world. And I, I found that really interesting because I think what we're talking about, what you're talking about here is where do we get this energy from, this enthusiasm from in the group, this real drive to become uh, an extraordinary team, a dream team. Yeah, okay, so two good questions there that any team can use. Number one, when have we been at our best? When were those moments? What was it about those moments? Great exercise. Number two, if we were the number one team in the world at what we do here, what would that be like? Mm. And you're absolutely right. These are both a route into a high level of purpose, ambition, belief in the team. And that's an essential ingredient. You've got me thinking of the Mercedes Formula One team. You know, all the teams in Formula One are fantastic. It's the pinnacle of their game. Particularly if we look at the top teams, they're all ultra competitive, ultra professional. But what's the difference between Mercedes and uh, some of the others at the top, Red Bull and McLaren? And if we go back a couple of years, what were Mercedes saying? They were saying, we don't just want to win Mm. this Sunday. We don't just want to win this season. We want to dominate. And they've gone on to do that. So demanding task. Again, you know, they didn't settle with just winning. They found the next level of demanding task. And One of the things it does is 
it shifts us from times of adversity and times of prosperity into actually everything is a challenge. We reframe constantly to see the challenge in front of us. Mm. From Mm. outside, maybe that challenge sits within adversity or it sits within prosperity. To the team, it's the current challenge. Mm, mm, mm. Yeah. And look at what they've achieved. I mean, this is the fantastic thing about great teams, isn't it? They seem to keep going. There will be a time, and I'm sure Toto Wolff has said this to the team, there'll be a time when we when we lose it. You know, be prepared. If you look at, you know, Man City, who are in the Premier League, who have suddenly in the Champions League final, they've won the Premier League, they've won a Carabao Cup, I think. They, they could do the quadruple this season. Last season, they Liverpool won the Premier League. So what happened, you know, so there are going to be times, and next season, who's to say? Keeping that going in a dream team is, is another big thing, isn't it, Ben? I, I'm sure we'll get onto that. You know, you can create this, this a high standard, like Toto Wolff's done at... Uh, uh, Mercedes and he's kept it going and and now you can see they're still keeping it going Lewis is still up there how long's he going to go on for can they keep this culture can they keep it right at the top and this is something for all CEOs and leaders to think about we've got to get the journey to get there and then we've got to try and keep those standards going and that's another interesting topic yeah and how do we do that there's a clue already in the story you're telling about Mercedes Formula One, which is, you know, Toto will have said there's going to be a time where we've lost this. Similarly, you can bet your bottom dollar that Toto and the team are constantly asking themselves what if questions. Mm. What if we don't have Lewis next year? Mm. Or what if we don't have Lewis in three years time? They'll have been working through that. And and that will be just one of a hundred what if questions they're asking so they're already framing each of those challenges and Mm. when they get there it won't be new it will be a familiar challenge and they'll already have a good idea of how they're going to tackle it they'll already be committed you know it's just assumed it's a challenge we're going to prevail so demanding task on to first who Mm. Mm. and over to you first who you thank you (laughs) Yeah, I, I think it, it sounds like this is a Jim Collins episode. I mean, it, it's interesting, isn't it? But he, he was the... I remember when I first first read him, first read him talking about first get the right people on the bus, then make sure they're in the right seats. And if you do that, they will help you decide where the bus should go. And I remember when I first heard that, I thought, oh, that sounds the wrong way around to me. It took me a while to figure that out and, and to get to grips with it. But he's absolutely right. Of course he is. You know, he's Jim Collins. He's, he's, he's written multi-million seller books, which I can only uh, dream about. Must be but, right. But he's absolutely right. You've got to look around your team and say, who are the weak links on this team? Who should I have on this team? And are they in the best, the right seats? Because you might have some great people and they might be in the wrong seats in your top team. In that case, that will really disrupt him, disrupt that team. There was an interesting podcast I heard with, with Jim, and he talked about, not only that, he talked about people being, people being wired for what they're doing. And I thought it was a really interesting phrase. And what he related was, he talked about the hedgehog, hedgehog concept, which is something he talks about in his books. And... This is the hedgehog concept basically said you've got people who are who are really passionate about what they do. 
they're the best in the world in that position, in that seat on your team. And they understand not only that, but they understand how they're making money or hitting their targets. In other words, the economic engine he talks about is the third part of the of the hedgehog concept. And it was the first time I'd, I'd, I'd seen that hedgehog concept, those three areas, applied to an individual. I'd, I'd, I'd thought about it more like a strategy for an organisation, where the organisation was going, but he was very clear, this thing about, have you got people who are really wired for the seat they're in around the table yeah. of your leadership team? Do yeah. they, are they the best in the world, in your, in your business, in that seat? Are they passionate about what they're doing and do they really understand how to hit the targets, the, the, the team targets you're setting? And I thought, what a lovely little simple framework that is for first two. Yeah, interesting. I, I like that. Uh, hedgehog concept, prickly concept, I find. But a great place to use it. Come on, that was good. Prickly concept. <laughs> well done, mate. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> but there's a gritty question there, isn't there? Who are the weak links on the team? And do you know what? In a dream team, it's not just the team leader that's asking that. Yeah, and the team leader will be asking that and will be mm. figuring out how to get that person up the ladder, create conditions mm. for success for them, or how to get them out the team mm. the, and the right person in the team. But it's also a question for every single person in the team. Mm. In a high-performing team, in a dream team, everyone is thinking... Who's the weak link here? And then they're thinking, and how do I help that person? Mm. How do I help that person on behalf of the team? And that, I think, is one of the markers of a dream team. Mm. They're absolutely committed to the success of every single individual in the team, and they will go however far it takes to make that person over there, who they think in some way is the weak link, to get them up to speed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and I think, again, I was talking about this yesterday, where when we sit in a team and we have a real purpose for that team, we have a real challenge that team wants to get, we've got great energy, we know who the weak link is. We do. Mm. If we're honest, we do. And it's really down to the leader of that team, but everyone else to point it out in the nicest possible way, and to help that person move, because actually uh, move, either move up or move out. And I think the fundamental thing that a leader of a team needs to understand is the most important thing is that the team succeeds. And it is not about the individuals in the team. It's about the team. Mm -hmm. Sports teams do this brilliantly well, where they understand that it, the most important thing is, if you think about the senior leadership team, in an organization, and Lencioni talks about this a lot, which is that is the number one team. If that team is flying, is brilliant, is doing superbly well, is high performing, is a dream team, then your business is probably gonna echo that. If it, if it isn't, then it isn't. So therefore, it becomes a really strong driver for the CEO and other members of the team say, how good is this team and are we really enabling it to perform at that high level and if you've got one person around that who isn't helping that we have to help them to move up or move into another position on the bigger wider bigger bus which is your organization
Yeah, or maybe outside the organisation. Or maybe outside. No, it's not a life sentence. No. And Ian, totally agreed, and be wired, I think, is a nice descriptor for some of the things we're, we're getting at here. And it's not just the top management team in a company or the leadership team. It's all teams. Yeah. So let's talk about the, the sales team, shall we? Because I think this is often really clear when I look at a, a sales team. Mm. Lots of the time, you've got a group, not a team. You've got mm-hmm. a group of salespeople, mm-hmm. not a team. And they've got their individual numbers. Mm-hmm. And they're out there. And some of them are smashing them. Some of them are not. And that's what the team looks like. Uh, that, for me, is not a dream sales team or even a high-performing sales team. The dream sales team is not a group of individuals. It's a team, and they're wired about the overall achievement that's possible for that that team. And they're likely to be together regularly. And I talked about this before on the on the podcast. And I don't know, maybe it's every Friday or every other Friday and they're together and they've got the boardroom and they are running pitches and they're working out, hey, what went well? What can we adopt? What do we need to avoid? And they're inviting people in. They've got the CFO in one of them. They've got a friendly customer in in another. They're always inviting people in to get that additional perspective. And then if you know, and if I'm in that organisation, I'm there and I'm pulling the power plug on the building halfway through one of their meetings because that's going to happen for real sometime. And they love it. They're mm. always there. They're on the training pitch together to be the very best at what they can do as a team individually, lift all of their colleagues up and not just hit their own number, but make sure that this is a sales team that strikes fear into the hearts of their competitors. Mm. That's a dream sales team. And you, you used this analogy of the basketball team and the, and the athletics team mm. when, when we worked together recently. And that was a love... T- tell, the, tell the listeners more about that, because I used it yesterday. I stole it from you, and I loved it, and it worked a dream yesterday when I used <laughs> it with the group in Newcastle. So you tell us about that, because I think that's a really great way of thinking. Yeah, OK, just quickly then two types of team so let's think of first of all the the athletics team the school athletics team let's take ourselves back uh, a few decades the school athletics team and what do they do they train together they wear the same team strip they share an identity and then they perform in individual events the 100 meters the 200 meters the what else I, I wasn't in, I, thank you I, I wasn't in the athletics team <laughs> <laughs> yeah and their, and their achievement is the the aggregate of their individual results mm. then we've got the basketball team the basketball team train together they share the same strip they've got the same identity and then they go out and play collectively to win a game win a season win a championship and they produce a collective result and this is two types of team in business we always have the athletics team at the top of the company we can see it everywhere we go it's the management group it's sales looking after the sales function it's production looking after the production process it's service looking after the service process it's 
finance looking after all of the things that finance look after and they need to be coordinated and the quarterly performance of the company is the the totality of what they achieve together. So it's a management group, it's an athletics team. And then in some companies, we also see the basketball team playing. Yeah. And so let's think of a simple challenge. We'd like to drive engagement across the business. Mm -hmm. We can't do that as a management group. We have an acquisition coming up. We're doing a structural acquisition. We, We succeeded so well that we're acquiring our number one competitor. They're coming on board. Uh, and we need to integrate across the whole business and quickly get a groundswell of support for our new vision and move forward in that direction. This is the results across the business. Or maybe we're a growing business and we're, you know, we're diversifying. We're introducing our second product and we're taking that to all of our current lovely customers. And maybe at the same time, we're entering into a new market, in, w- in which case we're not just doing product diversification, we're doing market diversification, we're transforming. Mm-hmm. It's going to take the whole company shared leadership. We need to be a basketball team for that or a transformational team. So we've, we've got these two. Yeah. We've got these two. And, and I think it's really important to understand what type of team we have around us. And are we lowballing it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so many sales team, that first sales team that I described, maybe they're lowballing it because what we've got is, you know, we're constantly finding the best individual salespeople we can. We're putting a number in front of each of them and a good proportion of them are hitting their number. And don't get me wrong, that achieves a very valuable result. Mm. But do we have the potential to be a dream sales team and play as a basketball team, not an athletics team? Yeah, it's a, it's a great way of thinking and I it, it resonated hugely, I know, with the team we were working with that day, Ben, and I think it's a great way of thinking about looking at your own team when you're running it and saying, what what are we? Let's be honest here, what are we? Because if you're an athletics team and you're, and you're running a team and, and, it's, and it's divided like that, thinking like that, defending their patch, not coming together, sharing resources, sharing challenges, looking at supporting and helping each other, then you're not going to be that dream team you want to be. Yeah, and just one little footnote on this. When we look at the team at the top of a scale-up company, they're quite likely to be both. Yeah, yeah. They need to do the management group thing. They also need to be a transformational leadership team. And Mm -hmm. I love working with those teams because they've got the toughest job in the world, in my mind. One other point I want to hit on, on balanced team Ian, and Mm, then mm, we'll wrap mm. up because actually we're chewing through our time here, enjoying ourselves. Mm. A completely different aspect of balanced team is do we have a diversity of talent, a diversity of experience, a diversity of perspective? Yeah, very, very important. Super important because what we want the team to do actually is to constantly learn by doing. You know, we talked earlier about always finding the challenge. Mm, the mm, dream mm. teams, they find the challenge and then they learn their way through it. They solve that challenge and they're inventive and they surprise themselves and others. 
How do they do that? It's because they're diverse. They've got a whole range of perspectives, both in the team, and they invite in those other perspectives as well. Like my sales team earlier, mm. let's get the CFO to sit in on our Friday this month and give us her perspective, the art of the possible in what we do and how we're performing right now. Well, they're adding in perspective. Mm-hmm. There's two things I'd say on that, just briefly. One is cognitive diversity. Mm-hmm. which Matthew Sayer talks about in his book Rebel Ideas. And that's, he, he gave the example of the FA board, Football Association board. Now, you might think about the Football Association in the UK and think the board would be made up of lots of people with football backgrounds. Completely the opposite, actually. Yeah. It's made up of people who are <clears throat> entrepreneurs, business people, people from elite sports, but no one really, apart from Gareth Southgate, who, who is really well-versed in football. And why is that? Because they don't need other people to come in and say, this is who we should pick or how we should play. They need people with very different perspectives and ideas and opinions and yeah. viewpoints to come in and enrich the dialogue. So a challenge for people running teams is, have we got that diversity, that cognitive diversity in the top team from different types of people, different types of thinking that are going to come and play into that. And if we haven't, we're in trouble, but we can always get them from outside as well. As you said, we can bring in people from other parts of the business. We can bring in non-execs. We can bring in people from suppliers and yes. partners and so on yeah. to help us shape our thinking as well. So that's a really important point. The second thing I just throw in there is things like, I've used Belbin team roles quite a lot, where we start to look at what kind of behaviours do we exhibit naturally, our, our sort of personality type, our, our team role, as Belbin called it. You know, have we got creative people around the table? Have we got deep thinkers? Have we got specialists? Have we got shapers? In other words, if we're all, as Belbin proved, if we recruit a team of people like ourselves, so we might, we, uh, we might have a lot of creative people around the table and very few people who are resource investigators who go out and find new ideas and bring them to the team or very few people who are really critical and, uh, and analyse things very well in the team, then we don't get a team balance. We get, you know, we, as he proved with putting all uh, the creative people together, they never come up with an, they never come up with an outcome. They just come up with ideas. Mm. So those are the two things, cognitive diversity and make sure you've got the right balance of behaviours and, and team profiles around the table. Yeah, and almost all teams that I look at could be going further uh, on this on this point. So I was lucky enough to, to hear Seb Coe talk about the team he brought together for the London Olympics in 2012. Uh, and he said it, really nicely uh, and I wrote it down at the time I still got it here and what he said was diversity in any organization is not a nice to have it's essential if you don't have it you're an underperforming organization you're not as good as you could be mm. Mm. now we can swap out the word organization and say team if you don't have diversity in the team, you are an underperforming team. You are not as good as you could be. Right. Well, let's Seb have the last word on that. And time for us to, to wrap up, Ian. Time for us to wrap up. So what do we what do we mean by dream team? Well, yeah, I mean, 
We've covered a lot of ground in a short space of time. And I suppose I'll pull on what we've already been saying. I think, and I'm in danger now of kind of reading out a list of things, but I think it's a group of people who have come together with a demanding task, as you said, a, a clear vision of where they want to be. So that in itself should be a demanding task. They're, this group of people have got to be in the right seats. They've got to be sharing a passion for that journey. They've got to have the right capability and competence. And it comes down to the leader of that group to energize them, to inspire them, and to engage them on that journey. Mm, okay, and I might answer a little differently. I might say that, I agree, demanding task. This is, this is a small group wired, borrowing your word from earlier, this is a small group wired for the demanding task challenge ahead of them. Ambition is high. Uh, they collectively create their future. Mm. They co mm. collectively learn their way to being world-class in succeeding against that task. Lovely, yeah. Well, I think between us we've got some sort of definition there, Ben. I reckon so. We've opened up the topic, haven't we? Mm. We have. And gosh, I feel quite excited about lots more conversations on this to come. <laughs> Good stuff. Well, we'll sit down shortly and work out some of the points we can hit in, in podcasts. But let's call that a wrap for today. Thank you, Ian. That's a pleasure. Great to chat through these things with you, Ben. But they're right at the heart of our our sweet spot thing we absolutely love and yeah, I think there's uh, I hope the listeners do and if they've got any any thoughts of things they want us to cover in this mini series come and tell us yeah absolutely email to to me at ben at benwales.com or ian at ian at ianwindle.com yep good stuff I'll see you back here in two weeks Ian see you there Ben bye bye bye